On this episode of Nurses' Voices, we'll be talking with two nurse innovators and hear about the nurse-led model of care they are using in working with the homeless and their ongoing advocacy work on behalf of this client population. This is Nurses' Voices. Nurses' Voices is sponsored by Pfizer Canada. It is supported by the Canadian Nurses Foundation and the Canadian Nurses Association. Welcome to Nurses' Voices. I'm Mary Wheeler. And I'm Gail Donu. The homeless crisis was a significant social and health issue across the country before COVID-19. This pandemic has intensified and shone a light on weaknesses in the system in providing care for this population and the need for action, especially in healthcare. Homeless people are at an increased risk of a wide range of health problems and of dying prematurely. They also face significant barriers that impact their access to health care. Our two guests on this episode work closely with the homeless, one at the front line providing health services and the other at the end of life providing hospice care. We're going to hear from two nurse innovators, their practice and their advocacy work. Clinton Barreto is a nurse practitioner, a social entrepreneur and the executive director of Homeless Health Peel which is a nurse-led service providing primary care for individuals and families experiencing homelessness in the region of Peel. He has a degree in nursing and a master's in public policy, health and economics. Felicia Contopetis has been a registered nurse at St. Elizabeth Health in Toronto for 12 years. She started out as an RPN, obtained her degree in nursing, and is now a student in the combined master's nurse practitioner in primary health care program at Ryerson University. Currently, Felicia is the director of care for Journey Home Hospice, which is an end-of-life care facility geared to improve equitable access to hospice care for Toronto's homeless. And the focus of this episode and the theme is around nurse innovation. And when I think of innovation, I think innovation and nursing goes way back to Florence Nightingale. And who are who are nurse innovators? They're risk takers, uh, they're creative, they see opportunities that other people don't see, they have an idea that hasn't been tested, and they just go for it. So to be able to begin with you, Clinton, and to talk about how the homeless became a focus for your practice. My affinity for this work uh, started when I was the, the primary care lead for the Brampton area at the Centre West Lynn. So I, I was connected with most of the family practitioners. I had a family practice uh, here in Brampton and I was approached by one of the outreach nurses from the region of Peel and who asked if I would provide some service or if I could connect them with any primary care providers. We know that individuals experiencing homelessness, especially chronic homelessness, don't have access to primary care. So I started doing it, you know, a couple of hours a week off the side of my desk thinking, you know, if I'm supposed to be a leader in the healthcare community, I lead from the front. Uh, and it very, very quickly became something that I had to decide whether I continued to do or I gave up my practice or I stopped doing outreach and I continued with my family practice. And the, the need was great. And what really struck me was one of the patients I saw in outreach was actually somebody I went to high school with. 
and I'll fully admit that I wasn't the best kid in high school and perhaps smoked a, a little bit too much. And, and he was one that I used to re have regular cigarette breaks in between classes. And I couldn't help but think, you know, one bad choice, one wrong road, uh, and I would be there instead of where I am. And it was a decision I had to make for my community. And, and I'm very lucky to have a very supportive family, but also a very supportive practice uh, that the, my colleagues were able to cover me and eventually find somebody to replace me in my in my family practice and make sure my patients were looked after there. Uh, and from there, it just kind of grew. And when COVID hit, the regional appeal got funding to run an isolation center specifically serving this population. So they tapped me on the shoulder. We had to hire nurses. I hired six nurses that were very committed to the cause, very committed to this population. We realized that we didn't have a lot of capacity, one for primary care nursing, but also for serving this population within the regional appeal. So we did a lot of side-by-side -side training, very hands-on with the nurses, and, and they became real experts in, uh, in our craft. And two years later, we're still running the isolation center, which is slated to close at the end of this month. But uh, we've gotten really, really good at it over the last couple of years. And the region has recognized it and, and contracted us to expand our services beyond the isolation center. We provided service at, uh, at a drop-in downtown Brampton, where our nurses are going into the shelter system. We grew from one nurse, which was me starting out, doing it kind of off the side of my desk. We now have 22 nurses nurses on staff, including four nurse practitioners. We are a nurse-led service. When we started out, it, it was like somebody gave us a blank sheet of paper and said, build your perfect nursing organization. And so it was the, the seven of us, the six nurses and myself that sat down and go, right, what do we hate about every nursing job we ever had? And we made this and we said, okay, we're not going to do any of that. We had a philosophy. We have four uh, main tenets that we apply to our patients, uh, the principles of autonomy, self-determination, trauma-informed care, and harm reduction. And we realized that these principles that we apply for our patients in our care, we really should be applying to ourselves as well. Like we recognize that nursing is a, a traumatized profession, you know, historically traumatized. We recognize nurses are, as professionals, are autonomous and self-determining. We recognize the need for harm reduction through education, through closing the knowledge gaps rather than punishment. So we re when we took that step back and we realized you know, our journey as nurses has a lot of parallels with the patients we serve. We started treating ourselves a little bit more kindly as well, too. Nurses historically treat our patients a lot better than we treat each other. So when we started from this foundation and any as we expanded, the nurses that we brought in, we made it very clear that this is our philosophy. And we had some nurses that came in and go, they could not buy into this philosophy and which was fine like they're better suited for other organizations but for us we take our philosophies very seriously this is not just a job this is not just a paycheck and we had an opportunity to, to do something really different we don't have management we have leadership so our what would be considered management are all practicing clinicians so while i'm the executive director i'm only the executive director part-time i am a practicing nurse practitioner three days a week our nurse in charge who is an rpn she also does shifts. So while the nurse in charge reports to me as the executive director, when I am on shift and practicing, I report to the nurse in charge. 
we have a professional practice lead who is a nurse practitioner. She's the professional practice lead one day a week. My practice is accountable to her. If I'm, you know, I can say I'm the executive director, but if my practice is kind of shoddy, she calls me out on it. And that is how we are kept accountable to each other. There's no, I'm the executive director. I sit in this nice office I'm sitting in right now, and I shall manage all of you, and I shall tell you what to do. I'm right there at the front. They learn from me. I learn from them. They hold me accountable, and I hold them the same. And it keeps us much more on the level versus, you know, it's more of a King Arthur's Knights of the Round Table kind of idea. Uh, and what it's done is it, it's created a different mindset where it's not just a job. It is part of a team that everybody has a say in how the organization is run. We're a nonprofit now, and we have a board that is 60% nurses because we shall determine our own fate. If we are a nurse-led service, we should truly be a nurse-led service, including our board. So we've taken this philosophy to a, a whole different level and is woven into everything that we do. But what it's allowed us to do is really encourage our nurses to start seeing gaps and opportunity. So as they work and as they connect with their colleagues from social service agencies and their partners outside, they're looking for gaps that we can fill as well, too. And if they see a gap, then they have the opportunity to be a leader and take on responsibility for that program of care. During COVID, there is a hotel not too far that has uh, refugees from Afghanistan. They needed some clinical support. One of our nurses is from Afghanistan, came over as a refugee 15 years ago, thought, I'd really like to do this. No problem. We will support you. So we created the processes. We created the governance. We created, gave her access to the EMR, gave her her own email address, gave her a fancy title and said, go forth and serve. We went out. She did it. When she needed clinical support, she would call me. I'd go there and see patients with her. It's all about that empowerment of nurses to really not just see the gaps, but also figure out how to close the gaps. Nurses are very good at seeing gaps in care and filling them. The problem is a lot of the gaps in care are, they're not supported in filling. They do it off the side of the desk, like I had to. They do it at the end of their shift or during their lunch break or you know, a 12-hour shift suddenly works out to be a 12-hour shift without a dinner break because you were trying to fill a gap because there wasn't a service there and your patients needed it. So it's, it's about developing that mindset, that kind of entrepreneurial leadership mindset of we are responsible, we are masters of our own domain and of our own destiny. So it, it's, a, it's a bit of a business startup mindset that we brought to this. Let's hear from Felicia. How did this area of practice attract you and what makes your hospice so innovative? 12 years ago this month, I did start with St. Elizabeth as an RPN. I was finishing up my school to be an RN. SE Health, as you know, it is a nurse-led organization. And so at the time, there were a lot of vacancies with regards to what they called mental health clinics. And so there was really nobody to fill in those hours. My supervisor really had a lot of faith in me, putting me in those clinics. I really enjoyed them. I was working at men's shelters, women's shelters, a mobile health bus. And I think where I learned the most, a drop-in center in the West End. And this drop-in center was really intriguing. The nurse that had been there prior to me had been there for years and years and years and really had established a good report with the service users at that site. 
she was like mama bear. I started there, clients were popping in very curious who I was. And when I started with St. Eliz, I was in my early 20s. The service users, the patients there were probably the same age as myself. So I was just really mesmerized by their life experiences, the hardships they endured, the trauma, and just the initial mistrust. I thought I wasn't going to get anywhere here at this clinic. And so over time, I just would be at this clinic. It was almost like social hour in the beginning. We would talk, I'd listen. They'd start pouring their hearts to me. And through these clinics, I'd be able to be a listening ear. They would open up. They would start trusting me more. And then I'd I'd realize very quickly I needed to learn what resources were available in that community to help these individuals because I didn't have it all at my fingertips. I was a new RPN. There were limitations with the level of care I was able to provide them with. Often they wanted over-the-counter medications. And so really it wasn't addressing the root of their problem or problems. My supervisors, I mean, they, they looked at me as, you know, a nurse with mental health experience, but somehow I was thrown into in-home palliative care. I loved being able to provide the mental health support to my people at the clinics. I couldn't leave them. Um, it had taken so long to build that trust and that familiarity with the people that I was seeing at these clinics. And I'll tell you till today, I still have a patient from 12 years ago where I first met him at the clinic, has my extension, calls me every Christmas to tell me Merry Christmas, ask how I'm doing. And I don't know how to explain it. It's just a calling. I think it's just so meaningful to me. It, it, gives me energy, enthusiasm, excitement to do this work. And just to kind of go back with the palliative in-home care that they had asked me to support a team to provide in-home palliative care. I was the clinical practice coach at St. Elizabeth at one point. And so I was seeing many patients that were at end of life dying. And this fascinated me just as well. And I think I came across a patient who was very vulnerably housed, had nothing in terms of family support, was in a home with a hospital bed that was rented for him, no bed sheets, nothing, just waiting all day for care providers to provide some sort of treatment, whether it be wound care, a palliative care assessment. And this individual had nothing else. There was not much more in terms of psychosocial support, emotional support, any other real resources for him was left there at the mercy of home care services to be able to provide pain and symptom management and comfort care, really. And just being in the position that I am in now at Journey Home Hospice, which is also a, a nurse-led model. I mean, um, the hospice movement is nurse-driven. It was inspired by an RN as it is uh, now still at Journey Home Hospice, just seeing all of the amazing gifts we have to offer this population who are so in need, it's just amazing. I feel like I fell into where I needed to fall into and I'm able still to draw upon those experiences that I have had in the community. 
I've had some amazing mentors within the organization, nurses. Our senior VP, Nancy Lefebvre, for example, this was her vision. She knew that hospices needed support, but what about those without a home? And just drawing back on my example of my patient who was vulnerably housed, had a home, but what quality of life really is that to offer somebody when they are already marginalized and now dying and alone. And so I just feel that me as a community nurse to start off with is was just a calling. And then finding all these gifts along the way, working with individuals who have essentially nothing, and then working with individuals who are now diagnosed with a life-limiting illness. To me, it was just an eye-opener. And I learned so much from the people that I serve in the community. I'm just, every single day, it's a learning experience. I could only hope to pass on my learnings to others. What I've learned even in the last three years, just at the hospice is there's definitely not a cookie cutter approach. Our patient population, uh, when I say very unique, they come with all sorts of complexities. Significant trauma, significant issues with trust, life experiences you wouldn't even believe, mental health, substance use, a lot of behavioral issues that start to make sense as to why maybe they've been estranged with family and so isolated for many years. And a lot of that also might have to do with mental health, substance use. There's so much involved. It's not just one thing. And on the top of all of that, that they're dying, um, what makes us unique is that um, we're really looking at the individual to see how we can really tailor care to their needs. The first couple of weeks that they're in our care, it's like it's a very challenging transition for them. And they are looking at every excuse to up and get out of there because that's what they're used to. They're used to just people giving up on them and they're used to, you know what, these rules, I don't like them. I'm out of here. So we do try and manage behaviors with a certain approach. We try not to be completely enabling. We try to set some rules. We work very hard with our patients to support them in following those rules, reinforcing those rules. We know they're not going to follow them all the time. We don't tell them that, but we really work with them. And at the end of the day, we may try and be firm in the beginning just to help them be successful with their transition into this new space. And what we found is they actually appreciate that faith that they will actually be able to abide by some of these policies. You talked about dignity and respect, and it's I think that's what is at the core of what both of you were talking about. Clinton, you also talked about that with the members of your own mm -hmm. team. The work you do requires a lot of advocacy. What do you want the public to know? What is advocacy? How important it is for you? For me, I, I take a slightly different approach. I don't see the world as it is. I see the world as it could be. And you know, in, in nursing school, we learn about advocacy and that, what we're taught in nursing school amounts to just do whatever you need to do for the patient or the client, right? And And I take a different approach. I take a much more some would call it aggressive approach to it, where for me, advocacy isn't doing whatever the patient needs. For me, advocacy 
is holding to task the other people who are paid to meet those patients' needs. If the patient needs, you know, their ODSP sorted, well, that's not me. That's the social worker. Well, the question is, why isn't the social worker doing their job? Well, that, as an advocate, going to the social worker, hey, do your damn job, right? It's not me being an advocate and getting the patient their ODSP and calling their Ontario Works worker or, or whoever. It is me going to my colleague and going, do your job, please. I have recruited nurses who who were the rowdy bunch in school? Who were the ones that <laughs> had an attitude problem? I want the ones with the attitude because I know that when push comes to shove, they will fight for their patients. Our patients don't have a voice often in a system that drowns them out. I expect my nurses to fight for them, to add their voice. But remembering, you know, feminist theory, nurses have been historically suppressed as well. Nursing has not had a voice for a very long time. When you even when you look at the pandemic and the news coverage, how many nurses do you see being represented? It's usually ICU docs or ER docs or infectious diseases docs, etc. You know, how many ICU nurses or emerge nurses, etc. They're all sort of gagged by their employer. Nurses are seen and not heard guaranteed in all of that footage they'll have a picture of a nurse scurrying around doing something vital meanwhile it's the doc that's talking you cannot be an advocate and be friends with everybody churchill once said if you have gone through life and have not made enemies you have not stood up for anything and i expect my nurses to have a lot of enemies but but you say that but you say that, and I hear in your voice some pride. And it's not just pride for being a disturber. You do this in aid of serving your clients. My, my clients, my profession. You know, when, when Mary, when you described what it is to be a nurse at the start, there was one thing you left out, bravery. It takes bravery to be a nurse. Right. It takes bravery to go to the bedside and, you know, where you could possibly have a fist swung at you. It takes bravery to yes. go out into COVID. It gets bravery to go into the shelters as a new grad like Felicia did. But we don't recognize nursing bravery. There's nurses in Ukraine right now pr uh, providing care in, in, you know, basements and metro stations. Nobody recognizes the bravery it takes every day to be a nurse. What we ex want to do and what I want to do is honor that bravery, encourage more nurses to be brave, to speak out, mm -hmm. right? Where they're not just oppressed by their employer, but they're encouraged to be brave, to take risks. Because you know what? If they go out and they say something wrong, you know what? Everybody says something wrong. We'll apologize. We'll get on with it. We mm -hmm. give a good bit of education. It's no different than, you know, if a new grad makes a man error. We take the same approach. We do a, a critical incident report. We go do a, you know, assess the knowledge gap. We close the knowledge gap. Life goes on. They'll probably never make the same mistake again. <laughs> Felicia, do you have something to add to that? You know, when we first started out at the hospice, um, there were there was no social worker and I was the social worker. I was, uh, as Clinton was doing a lot of stuff at the side of the, their desk, I was actually the one calling ODSP. I was actually the one showing up to the ODSP office. I was actually the one helping fill out forms and doing all this stuff, realizing how challenging it was for any other individual to do this. Mind you, 
any other individual with substance use issues, mental health issues, other ailments, no transportation, no means of getting to and from. Like, these were a lot of things that I discovered, the many challenges that uh, people that we serve today have endured. And my learnings, Clinton, to be honest, is I was contacting ODSP, frustrated, upset, and I learned actually to be more diplomatic, to be kinder to them, because I got farther doing that. And I'll tell you today, it's helped me quite a bit in my learnings with networking with others to try and get more resources and supports for individuals is being uh, diplomatic, being patient, recognizing and acknowledging that things take so much time to be put in place. And it is frustrating, particularly when you are working with clients who are at end of life and don't have a lot of time. Now I have a bunch of social services worker students, they can help with this. I can share some of my experiences. I have no problem doing that though in the beginning because I think sometimes we need to go through this type of hardship to realize how challenging um, accessing services, very basic services for individuals are. And even now till today, when our patients pass, even the local funeral home, like they're learning from me about bereavement services and such. Initially, I was constantly told to contact the coroner's office if there's no next of kin. I strove to make sure that, no, we are going to advocate for a timely funeral for this individual. We know who this individual is. We know they have friends. We know and who, who, that there are people and we can also vouch that this person is this person. We've known them for this amount of time. They are a person, in fact, they are not a John Doe. We've had them in our care. And till today, I still take on this work until now, you know, eventually with our social services worker students or social worker students, they will learn how to make a next of kin claim and search and be able to advocate for a more timely funeral for those individuals who really have nobody in their life. But I found, Early on, I was very frustrated. You can hear it on my phone, on my voice when I was on the phone with the Ontario Public Guardian and Trustee, with the coroner's office, with the funeral home, and I got nowhere. So I actually really learned that I can advocate, be very diplomatic, be very, I know you don't like the word professional, <laughs> Clinton, but be very professional because at the end of the day, I do represent a facility that provides beautiful, beautiful care. And I wanna be able to showcase that in the manner that I communicate with the community. I think that's been a skill that I've learned with advocacy. Sometimes damned if you do, damned if you don't. You annoy people with your kindness. <laughs> you know, you annoy them with your notoriety. So there might not be a real formula um, to pleasing everybody. I don't think that's possible, but just respecting everyone the way, so the way, you know, I talk about respecting our patients, you know, demonstrating that same level of respect to everybody else around, I found has really done wonders just for me professionally as a nurse. So there, there is a place of nursing for everybody. We just have to find our niche. Mm -hmm. Felicia, you clearly found yours, right? And I have found mine here, mm -hmm. but we found it in our own way. I think that's a good place 
to end this conversation. There's two things that you said, Clinton. First of all, that in this profession, there needs to be a place for all nurses, that they need to uh, find their voice, find their place. And we have that responsibility. And I also have, uh, have to chuckle because when you talked about in COVID that often just seeing the physicians talk, um, that was one of the reasons Gail and I started Nurses Voices. So we're into season two, and this is about the 30th um, nurse that we've had on talking about their uniqueness. And I think that to me is what brings a beautiful close to this conversation is that you both have the end in sight. You know who your client group is. And no matter how you approach it, um, your style, Clinton, Felicia's style, or if or anyone's style, that's, that's what this is all about, is providing quality patient care. I really want to thank you because I think you are great examples of nursing innovation, of advocacy, and working again with a population that a lot of nurses don't interface with. So for that, I really want to thank you for the work that you do with the homeless. And I want to thank you too and wish you well. We, we need you. Your clients need you, but the profession needs you too. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of season two of Nurses Voices. We look forward to seeing you in future episodes. Until then, we encourage you to view previous episodes from this season and from our first season. I'm sure you'll find them interesting. You can view and listen to Nurses Voices on a variety of platforms, including YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And remember, if you want to give us any feedback, please connect with us through nursesvoices.ca. And remember to sign up for our e-newsletter. Nurses Voices is sponsored by Pfizer Canada. It is created by Donner Mueller. It is produced by Sector Limited. It is supported by the Canadian Nurses Foundation and the Canadian Nurses Association. Mm-hmm.